few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Middle of a sermon series. If you're not a, a church person, we call our messages sermon series, and we, we kind of stay on topic for, for a month or a few weeks. And so, if you if you're coming back next week and you're kind of interested in where we're going, uh, our next sermon series starting on uh, the first Sunday of May is called "We Got Work to Do." Uh, I'm going to preach on one of my favorite books of the Bible, the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Uh, and the reason it's a good book is I think if you're a business owner. Uh, if you're in any level of leadership, and here's the thing, all of us lead something. So whether you're a stay-at-home mom, you lead a classroom of, of, of five and six or 10-year-olds or 15-year-olds, you lead a business, uh, you lead yourself. Uh, if you're building something, Nehemiah is a great book that will apply directly to your life. And so we're going to have a, a good time uh, in the month of May going through this book, uh, applying it to our lives. We got, we got work to do. We're going to end today our sermon series Wonder work and power. What, what I did is about five weeks ago, I said, listen, uh, this will be the last week, by the way, you're going to hear bluegrass music at church. We're going straight hardcore rap, gangster rap next week. And so you know, overcompensate for the, this. And so uh, three weeks was fine. Four weeks was starting to drive me crazy. Fifth week, it was like, no, no. And so next week will be different. We just wanted to go a little old school, though. I want you to understand the significance uh, of we, on Easter. We said, let's talk about why it's important that Jesus rose from the dead. Let's talk about why that's significant to our faith. Without that part of the story, our, our faith is futile, Scripture says. And so I said, let me, let me give you the reasons I believe it. Not, they're not fairy tale reasons. They're not even what we would call faith, where you're going, well, I don't really know if this happened, so I'm just going to you know, use my best judgment. I said, let me give you facts about why I believe that Jesus did rise from the dead. And if he did, let me give you what, what, why it's important. What are the implications of that? What are they? Uh, Jesus gives us the power to see our lives changed. So there's power to change. Jesus has the power to forgive our sins. We talked about that through uh, Peter and, and last week Mary Magdalene. And, and, and then number three, uh, that Jesus promises through the resurrection eternal life. And I think this is, this is the greatest question that the resurrection of Jesus Christ answers. Because the truth is, all of us think about death. I mean, you don't wake up every day and think about it. That's kind of, kind of morbid. But, but we all know that death is coming for us. We, we all know... Uh, that, that one day we're going to die. No matter how much you, money you have, how many accomplishments you make, how many scientific breakthroughs that there, there are, death is still going to come to us. We're, we're, we're all going closer to death. And the truth is uh, that we often think, what happens next? What happens next? What, what comes after death? Because we all know in our, in our spirits that death is not normal, that, that death, maybe there's something wrong with it, that when we bury somebody and there, there's that hopeless feeling that, that I'm never going to see them again, a loved one. In, in our hearts, we think, man, there must be something. There must be something more. In fact, in Ecclesiastes, this man wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he said, he, said, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, there, that God created us, with, with, with the knowledge to think about eternity, that we're the only beings, we're the only created things that God made that think about eternity. You know that. Your dog does not think about eternity. Your dog thinks about the next butt he gets to sniff, uh, the next bone he gets to chew, the next time he gets to chase his tail. That's what dogs do. Dogs, they don't wake up every day going, is this the end for me? They wake up, they wake up pretty much the same every day going, <laughs> like that's what dogs, dogs do. Cats, same thing. Animals, they don't think about 
they don't think about eternity, but for us, there, there's something that gnaws at us. There's something we're dealing with. There's something it causes fear for many of us and anxiety and, 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 and mourning and, and pain. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it answers what I will call life's greatest uh, 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 threat, uh, the greatest disease man knows. We call, it, we call it death. Jesus promises through his resurrection eternal life. And I want to show you what I believe is one of the coolest stories of, of an example of this in the Bible in Luke chapter 23. Jesus is on the cross. This is the current context. They've put him on trial. They've nailed his hands to a, to a Roman cross, his ankles. He's hanging on a cross. Uh, theologians, historians believe he's probably hanging there uh, naked. He's, he, he's, they're, 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 he's ashamed. Like he's carrying the weight of the sin of the world. People are mocking him. Uh, and if you have not read the Bible, maybe you've never kind of understood the details. Along with Jesus, there's, there's, a, there's a thief a criminal on the one side, the right side, and there's a criminal on the left side. This is, this is, and they're, they're all dying together. These men are not just common nobodies. Uh, they wanted to make a scene of Jesus. And these men also, because crucifixion was pretty costly, it required the participation of a bunch of Roman uh, soldiers, and so they had to get paid. So it was a costly way to die. And so the guys that were dying on his right or left, they're, they're big-time criminals. They, they, have, they have a history. Uh, they're known. We don't know their names through Scripture. But other people would have. So these guys are, are dying deaths uh, at the same time Jesus is dying. And the, the writer, Luke, allows us to, to see into their conversation. Jesus is talking uh, in, 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 in to, to them. He's, he's having a conversation with them. And the Bible says in Luke chapter 23, verse number 39, that one of the criminals, uh, the Bible says, one of the criminals who hung there, hung there hurled insults at him. And this is what scripture says. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself in us. But the other criminal rebuked him. So, so the one criminal, we don't know which side, is, is, is making fun of Jesus and saying, listen, if that sign is really what, what you are, king of the Jews, Messiah, whatever you claim to be, why don't you get, get yourself down and do me a favor, get me down too. Then the other side, the guy on the left, maybe, he, he begins to, 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 the Bible says, rebuke him. He says, don't you fear God in verse number 40. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, and this is, this is powerful. Jesus, he's in excruciating pain. They all are. The Bible tells us, and also history tells us, it's almost impossible to talk because your, your breath is getting stolen from you. Every muscle in your, your, your body is hurting. The fibers in your hands, are, the, the, they're literally getting ripped from, from being, your, all the weight is on those, those, those nails. And, and he decides to have a conversation with Jesus. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember, he has an outlook on Jesus that maybe some of you don't have. Remember me, and Jesus answered him, watch this, truly I tell you, today, that's really important, not, not later, not, not after you pay certain debts off, T today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, that, 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 that word is another word for, for heaven. Today you will be with me. He looks at the thief, there's one mocking him, there's one saying, no, no, this is, this, this is God he says, would you remember me in heaven? And what does he say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. And what I want to do is I want to use this story to answer some of our greatest maybe misconceptions about heaven. Because we all have them. Like, what do we, there's a better place somewhere. I don't know where it's at. It's a better place. There's a cloud somewhere, little chubby, chubby angels playing harps. I'm going to welcome you in. I had somebody the other day tell me, you know, when I get to the pearly gates, I'm like, what the heck is the pearly gates? 
When I do these things, like, you know, Michael the archangel is going to be there, and this is all going to go on. Or boop, boop, boop. Like, I, there's all these misconceptions. Every time there's a funeral, what does the pastor, priest, or whoever say? This person's in a better place. You put some incense over their dead casket or body, you know, say a couple prayers. This person's in a better place. And I believe there's a lot of misconceptions about heaven. And here's the thing. This story answers a lot of them. This story answers a lot of them. So let me just kind of go over four lies that, that, that we tend to believe about heaven. Number one is this. is the first lie that we, we, we tend to believe is most people go there. Most, most people go there. In fact, uh, they did a study. And for every one honest person, one person that said, you know what, I've done a lot of crap in my life. I, I, I've, I've lied a whole bunch of times to keep myself out of trouble. I, I, I've fornicated. Uh, I, I've, I've done things that nobody else knows. I've, I've gossiped about people. I've did a lot of hard drugs in my life. Uh, man, man, I, I've, I've been lazy a lot where I, I haven't gone, I've gone to jobs that I was supposed to go to. Uh, I, I took back words that I said I was going to do. Like, I've done a lot of, I've cheated on taxes. Like, I, 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 I looked at things I shouldn't have looked at. I've done a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And if there is, I can't even keep a list of them. If there is a God... And I'm getting judged based on all these things that I, that I do, that I don't deserve to be with him, that I'll go to hell. There, there's one person that, in, in a crowd that will say, yeah, that's me. But for every one person that says that, there's 120 Americans that say, no, absolutely, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Here, here's why. I'm a good person generally. I mean, I know I did that and this and that and lied about this, and I'm, I'm 37, but I tell everybody I'm 27, and, and, and I, I, I lied on my resume, and I, and I, I cheated my way through college, and, and, and I lusted, and I do all these things. But listen, I'm generally a good person, and I think I've done enough good things in, in, in my life. And even, even when I messed up, I would overcompensate. And so like when I didn't do what I was supposed to do, and then I went through the drive-thru at the Burger King for breakfast, and even though I did bad stuff the day before, they asked me to give a dollar donation to make a wish, and I did that. And so that paid off my lust from the day before. We kind of play this game, right? Like I, I want to balance out my, my, my good from my bad because I think that most good people Go, go to heaven. In, in, in fact, you even see this in our culture, in, in church culture. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a video that I watched a few weeks ago. It's a touching video, actually. I, I cry when I was watching it. It's the Pope, and he is answering questions from these little kids. This little boy gets up, and this is why I cried. It had nothing to do with the Pope, but he, he, he stood up, and he, he cried, and, and he's bawling, crying. In the video, they're kind of giving you the background of the story. His father has just died. His father was an atheist, and that means he did not believe in God. So he wants to ask the Pope a question, and I, I get it. If I'm, the Pope's a normal guy, just like, just like all of us, and, and I, I understand what he wants to say because what I want to say to you guys is, of course, most people go to heaven. Of course, everybody's there. Of course, your loved one is there because they were generally a good person, and you have good memories of them, and you know, you know, of course, most people, most people are good-natured, and so they go there, and so he asks the Pope, he says, he says and I didn't understand it because it's a different language, so they're putting the, they're putting the, the, the words at the bottom. He says, he says, my dad died, and he actually is whispering in his ear because he's so overwhelmed with, with pain. He goes up and he whispers in his ear, and his question is, my dad died, he was an atheist, is he in hell? And I get what the Pope, where the Pope's coming from because you don't, there's times people ask you things, and literally you just don't want to tell them the truth. You ever been there? Does this dress make me look fat? Like, there's things people ask me even at church where like, your heart is, 
you're, you're, you don't want to hurt their feelings. You don't want to look at them and say it's your fault. And so he looks at this little boy and he says, of course, your dad's not in, not in hell. He said, your dad had to be a good man because you're a good boy and good people make good kids. And good people go, go this is what good people, they go to heaven. And so my question then for the Pope and my question for, for, for everyone else who would say that's true because the Pope said it, is the guy on the cross a good person? I mean, there's a good shot he murdered somebody. There's, there's, a, there's a good chance that he did something that, that was, got him to that point, something that was big. He never had a chance to make amends for it. He's dying on a cross for it. He never had a chance to get baptized. He's never going to have a chance to go to CCD or CCV class. He, he's never, whatever that's called, he's never going to have a chance to become religious and say the right prayers. And Jesus doesn't say, someday. He doesn't say, I'm going to send you to purgatory, which, by the way, is not in the Bible either. And someday you can work your way back to me and, and do things right. He says, what did he say? Today. You see, something happens in church where we begin to think that good people go, go to heaven and, and religious people go to heaven. And most people are in that boat, so most people do what? They go to heaven. Watch what Scripture says. And I figured I would read a lot of Scripture to you today uh, because that way, if you get mad, you can take it up with God. But Matthew chapter 7, verse number 13 says, watch this, enter through the narrow gate. Watch what he says right here. This is Jesus. For wide is the gate that, and broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. You see what Scripture says? We don't ever want to be in the many, and we don't ever want to own that. Many enter through. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And watch what it says. Only a few find it. There's, there's a whole lot more people walking down the path that leads to destruction than they are through the narrow path. And so, so here's the thing you need to understand. Let me just kind of paint the picture of the two thieves. Did, did they both do similar things to get to the cross? Yes. Did either of them have time to pay for what they did? No, they both died there. Were they good people? The answer is no. So what's the difference? Why did this guy not go to heaven and this guy go to heaven? What's the difference? What does he say? He says, shut your mouth to the guy. He says, I know who I am and I know what I deserve. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Jesus, would you remember me? That's a word of repentance. Would you remember me when you go to paradise, when you go to heaven? And what does Jesus say? Through that act, through your desire to have repentance and your desire to have forgiveness, that I am here paying the price of your sin. And today, you will be with me in heaven. In other words, most people don't go to heaven. Uh, good people don't go to heaven. Religious people don't go to heaven. Who goes to heaven? Forgiven people. For forgiven people. People that at one point in their life said, I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I cannot attain perfection. I'm full of sin and I deserve death in hell, Jesus, would you forgive my sins? And watch what scripture says in 1 John 5. It says, and this is the testimony God has given us, what? Eternal life. And this life is in his son. Well, I love this. Whoever has the son has what? Come on, say it. And watch what it says. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. Well, it gets even worse or better. It depends what you think. The Bible says in John chapter 14, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Very concretely, watch what he says. No man, no woman, nobody, nobody gets to the Father except through who? Him. Nobody. Good people don't go to heaven. I'll stop that crap. You're not good. Your grandpa wasn't good. He cheated on your grandma 16 times. I know he gave you candy, and I know he fought in World War II, and I know he did stuff like that. I want, not a good person. Me, I'm not good. I'm not going to heaven. 
because I'm good. I'm certainly not going to heaven because I'm religious. Can we stop with that garbage? You think God cares that you dedicated your baby or confirmed your baby and your kid went to 12 weeks of class and you never took them back again? Do you think he cares if he took your first communion or whatever other religious thing that we do inside or outside the church? He doesn't care. Religious people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. Most people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people. Forgiven people go to heaven. That's either terrifying news or that's the best news in the world. Some of you are going, shoo, because I ain't good. I hate religion. And I'm not most people. I'm jacked. You are a candidate for God's kingdom. Forgiven people go to heaven. Number two is this. I like this thing. Life can't really be sure about it. I understand what you're saying, but nobody can really be sure. Like you can, you can bury people. And this, this, this is another thing that's very difficult. You can do a funeral for somebody that you've never met, has produced no fruit in their life, obvious that they have followed Christ, and do a funeral. And there is not a pastor or a priest or religious leader in the world that will stand up most of the time and say, he, they're in hell. I would. I won't do your funeral if you don't go to church, because I don't want to stand up there and tell people that, that you're in heaven, because you're definitely not. I always tell people this. I've done a few, and I said, listen, you should use their life as a warning. And if they could have a chance to get back to you right now, their, their, their screams would be, repent and turn your life to Christ now. If they're in heaven, they don't want me to talk about them at all anyways. They're just saying, hey, anybody who's not here, you need to get here. Anybody who's not going to heaven, you need to listen to what he's saying. But most pastors will stand up in front and say, we don't know, we don't really know, we don't know what happened. And some of you say, no, it's true because look at the thief at the end of his life. He, he asked for repentance and all things. And I would say, you're right. There's a chance until your, your heart stops beating for you to repent and receive Jesus a, 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 as your Lord and Savior. But I believe as our heart is still beating right now, that we can 100% be sure that you are or are not going to heaven. I, I believe you can know. I believe if you know, if forgiven people are going to heaven, that you can know at some point in your life that you bent your knee to Jesus Christ, that you asked him to come into the dirt, dirtiest, darkest parts of your life, and you received his forgiveness just like this thief did on the cross, and you heard the exact same message, you'll be with me. Maybe not today, because I'm not praying that prayer, right? But when you die, you'll be with me in heaven. I think you can be confident. In fact, uh, a murderer was. And if a murderer can be confident, his, his name was, was Paul. He wrote this, this Bible verse I'm about to read you. That, that Jesus saved him and was going to bring him to heaven. He was not worried if he paid enough to fulfill and pay off his debt of murder, right? Because he murdered Christians before he got saved. But he writes this some years later in Philippians chapter 1. He says, for me to watch this is to live, to live as Christ, to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't even, I don't even know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is better by far. What does he say? I know where I'm going. I'm not afraid of death. I will say the same thing to you today. I don't want to die. I'm not asking for that. But if I were to have to stand up here in the next couple weeks and say, hey, listen, I found out I have, I have terminal, terminal cancer. I've only, only got 30 days to live. A few things would, would happen in my life, but one of them would not be fear. I, I know where I'm going. A couple things would happen. My sermons would change. You better believe that. What I say, what I, I mean, it, it would change. Maybe that's something I need to work on as, as a pastor because it should impact me like that. But I wouldn't be afraid. T to me, to, to be here, I want to do what Christ wants me to do. But to die 
is gain because I know where I'm going. I know and I'm confident. I have a blessed assurance of what's going to happen to me on the other side. And I think you can live your life like that. In fact, if you see, there's another verse in 2 Corinthians 5 where you kind of see the same theme by Paul. And he says, we're confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I'm confident of where I'm going. And watch how you know you're confident. Watch what he says. So we make it our goal now to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. Here's how you know where you're going. Can I, can I just explain to you something? It's cold today, right? Like, it's, it's not supposed to be like this. If you're going to the beach, let's just talk about the beach, and you're getting ready to go on a beach vacation, how are you packing? Are you wearing a sweater? Are you packing, you packing boots and skinny jeans? The only weirdos wear jeans on the beach, right? You, 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 you packing warm clothes? What are you packing? You're packing sandals. You're packing Hawaiian shirts. You're packing, you're packing shorts. You're, you're packing sunblock. Why? Because you know where you're headed. You're headed to the beach. If you're going to Colorado and it's cold, you're not packing like you're going to the beach. How are you packing? You're packing like you're dressed right now because we're in Pennsylvania in spring. <laughs> you know where you're going by how you're living. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm confident of where I'm going. And here's how I know where I'm going because I'm working to get there right now. I'm not working to earn God's grace, but I'm storing up treasures in heaven, I want to seek and save the lost. I want to make his name famous as long as I'm here. Here's how you know where you're going. Is your life about Christ right now? Is your life about, about eternity? Is it about making a difference? Is it about reaching lost people? Is it about building God's kingdom? Is it about investing your treasure in eternity, not in temporary? Do you spend all of your money on yourself on temporary things where the Bible says rust and moth are good, moths are going to de destroy it? Do you spend all your days worrying about temporary things that won't mean anything in eternity? Or are you storing up for yourself as if you're headed there? Paul said, I know where I'm going and I'm making arrangements to get there. I'm bringing as many people as I possibly can with me. I think 100%, not only do we need to stop believing the lie that most people we see go there, because what that does, you know what that does? It makes you very apathetic. There's a whole lot of people that you hang out with that are going to hell when their heart stops beating right now, myself included. And when we believe the lie that most people go there, that it doesn't matter what you do, that they're generally good people and only bad people go there and all these other garbage that we believe. And maybe they went to the class at some point, took their first communion, they're religious, they have religion running in their blood, which, by the way, often makes you farther away from God than broken people. And so they have all these things. As long as we believe that, what does it do? It makes the church very apathetic. If hell was really as real as the Bible says it is, the church would be on fire to reach lost people. Weekend. And week out. So I believe we need to stop believing a lot that most people go there. I, need, we, I, need, I believe we need to celebrate the fact that we can know when our last breath is here on, on temporary, on earth, that we can take our next breath with Christ. Here's, here's the third lie that we believe. And I think this is, this is one from Satan. It sounds lame. Like you ever been in church and they started, started to describe uh, heaven and you're like, I don't want to go there. Like pastors will be like, heaven was like one long, what, church service. You're like, nah, I, listen, I, we sang 28 minutes of singing today. That felt like eternity. I mean, no offense to the band or anything like that, but some of you are like, no, I don't even like, I can't sing. I don't like this thing. I can't do it, right? And you're like, church, heaven's just going to be one long church service you go to, and you know, there's going to be, be on a cloud somewhere, and you're going to be wearing a white gown and playing a harp. I don't even like, who plays the harp? And you, what do you say? It sounds lame, and I think it's Satan's attempt to, to want to make us kind of grow apathetic to the whole, the whole concept 
of eternity. And so the problem, well, the truth is we should just go back to, to Scripture and, and really just use Scripture to describe it. Watch what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, however, as it is written, watch what it says about eternity. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Oh, we're thinking about the best thing you've ever done. If I think about my, my most relaxing moments of my life, it was, one was a few years ago. I went down to Alabama to the Gulf of Mexico to the beach, and my in-laws paid for us to go to vacation. And so we went this vacation with our family, and there was one day where they said, hey, well, watch your kids. You can go down and spend some, spend, spend some time on the beach by yourself. So we went down. We took beach chairs. We sat right where the water broke. You ever do that? Put our beach chairs. They would sink down a little bit, and it would just kind of wash over you. Uh, and the reason I didn't get fully in the water is because every couple minutes, the water was so clear. Every couple minutes, a stingray would go swimming by. I'm like, I'm going to sit right here. I ain't trying to die today, right? I'm going to enjoy this. But I would just watch, these, watch this peaceful moment. There's no cargo ships going by. It's not the, it's not the Atlantic coast. And there's not a whole lot of, there's not planes flying by every minute telling you to buy something. It just was the beach. And I'm looking out, and there's really just us on this beach. And, and it's just a relaxing moment with my wife and just thinking, this is, this is as good as it gets. This is like top 10 best moments of my life with my wife. And Scripture says that that, that moment doesn't even pale in, com- in comparison to the moments he has planned for us. In fact, Scripture says a little bit later, or a little bit back in Psalms 84, better is one day in your courts than what? A thousand's elsewhere. A thousand other days doesn't even compare to one day with God. See, I think Scripture is trying to tell us, man, we're humans. We can't even do a good job of describing to you what it's going to be like because we've never seen it. We call it a thingamajigger. What you call it? We can't even do a good job. The best, the best spot in Scripture that describes it happens in the book of Revelation. It just means the end. Genesis means the beginning. Revelation means the end. And so Revelation is a, is a really good book for us as, as Christians because what it tells us is God wins. And so every time they tell us aliens are taking over or the blood moon's doing this or a meteor's coming, I go to Scripture, I go, no, he tells us how it's going to end. We win. So I have a pan theory, which means everything's going to pan out in the end for us that are in Christ. But it gives us a little glimpse of, of heaven. And, and this is what he says in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. He says, then I see a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Eventually, uh, most historians, Bible historians believe that God's going to make a new heaven and new earth. He's going to reset in motion what he set in motion in the beginning of time. He's going to, he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And watch what it says. And there was no longer any sea. So that stinks if you like the beach. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God's going to be with us. The Bible says, and I love this promise. In this new heaven, new earth, what's he going to do? Wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain for the older, old order of things has passed away. Look, look to the promises. Where's God going to dwell with us? We're all going to be together. What a promise for those who have lost loved ones that knew Christ. We're going we're to see them again. My, my pappy who died a few years back, when, when, when he was in his casket, and, or actually he was cremated, and then we did his funeral. It was sad because he was gone, but I was happy because he was whole. I was happy because he was healed, and I had hope that I would see him once again. We're all going to be together. Guess who else is going to be there? God is going to make his dwelling place 
with us. And in the promises, it's going to be a new earth. And so what I would say is the things that we love to do now that, that are pleasing to God, that bring joy to his children's hearts, there's a good shot. We're going to be doing it. If you like to golf, golf's going to be cheap on the new earth. I mean, there's going to be things that literally bring joy to, and, and peace and, and, and happiness to our souls that is going to be on the earth. And the, and the best part of it, what's the promise? No more what? No more tears. No more pain. No more, no more mourning. No, no more sorrow. That one day, he's going to put everything back together. So it's a lie to believe that it's lame. It's better to be with God for one day than it is to be a thousand elsewhere. No eye has seen, no ear has heard the things he's prepared for those that have been called according to, to his name. It's not lame. That, 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 that's a lie from, from Satan. Most people don't go there. For, forgiven people go there. And we can certainly be sure. And number, number four, no, number four, heaven can wait. He, heaven, heaven can wait. I think one of the mistakes we make as, as, as followers of Christ, and maybe not even followers of Christ, when you listen to a message like this, is we go, you know, I, I get it, heaven's going to be awesome, but, but it, can, it can wait for me to really focus on it. It can wait for me to really give my full attention to it. It can wait. Some of you, you're not in a relationship with Christ yet, and you're going, it can wait. I got, I got stuff I, I need to do. I got place on me. Even the story, you kind of, you're going to jump in and get all Bible theology on me, and you're going to go, well, he waited to the end, and it turned out fine for him. He waited to the end. And you're right, he, he did. He, 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 on his last couple breaths, he got his life right with Christ. And I, and I think there's, there's people that, that, that do that. But the problem is, for most of us, we're not going to be put on a cross somewhere. We're not going to go out like that. And oftentimes, the longer you wait to get your life right with Christ, the harder your heart gets. It just gets hardened to the grace of God. He reaches and reaches and reaches and he keeps reaching even when your heart gets hardened. But sometimes your heart gets so hard to the things of God, you can't even see him reaching. You come to church today and he's reaching out to you and he's calling out to you. Eternity is coming and if I secured your place and all you need to do to be found of me is receive my forgiveness. Some of you are going, it can wait. Why can't it wait? I got other stuff I need to do. I got other stuff I need to do. The scripture implies that's a really unwise thing way to live the writer of James says in verse chapter 4 verse and he says now listen you who say watch this today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that spend a year there carry on business and make money be careful with this type of thinking why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow what is your life you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. it's sobering actually outside of eternity your life is nothing even even the best humans that reach the highest goals are forgotten within a few generations. Can, can I just, that's awful to think about. All my accomplishments, all the money that I spent, all the houses that I built, the beach house that I've attained to, the cars that I've gotten, all those things within a few generations, they're forgotten or they're squandered by spoiled brat relatives. He's saying, don't live your life like that. You see, for me, I don't just live with the promise of eternal life because I certainly have that. But I also live with what I would call the purpose of eternal life. There's a promise I have in the future. There's a, there's a purpose that wakes me up every day. It's the reason we do church the way we do. Some of you always wonder why we do church. Here's, here it is. This last, this last few moments is the reason. We, we do church because we want people to understand the grace of Jesus Christ that is only acquired through, through asking him to forgive your sins and, and set you free. We do church the way we do it because eternity 
is on the line. Not only do we live with the promise of it, but our church, it lives and strives with the purpose of eternity. And something changes in your life, not only when you have the promise, but when you wake up day in and day out and you live with that purpose, that purpose of sharing it, that purpose of being a light to your lost, your lost and dying friends, that, that purpose of sharing, understanding eternity and hell and death are, are on the line. It changes the way you live. Gives you a reason to wake up. Some of you have no reason to wake up in the morning. That's just the reality of your life. I get it, you're attaining to a career, but what's, think about it, what's the point of the end of that? Some of you attain into a relationship. What, what happens when you get that? Some of you just want to have kids. Oh, okay, what, what, what's the point of kids without, without the purpose of eternity? You're going to raise them for the next 30, 45, 50 years, and then you kick the can and they live on without you? There's, there's something else there. There's the purpose of eternity. You're going to school right now. Isn't there got to be a purpose of eternity in that? Of all of your accomplishments? And some of you say, no, no, it can, it can wait. That's a lie. That's a, that's a lie. Every, every moment you, you, you squander, you're missing out on the significance that God has planned and destined for your life. Most people don't go to heaven. Forgiving people do. Are you forgiven today? We know where we're going. You can know. You can have peace that surpasses understanding given through Jesus Christ. It's not lame. We can't even describe how good it's going to be, the Bible says. Better is one day with him than a thousands of the best days that this earth can provide us and it can't wait you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow the bible says that we all die once we're all destined to die once and then be judged that's what scripture tells us that your your heart while it's beating that you still have the opportunity but you don't know what tomorrow brings and i know that sounds cliche from a pastor you've been in church you've heard pastors tell you don't miss your moment you could go get in your car and die tonight but but it's true and eternity is coming for you my question is are you are you ready for it are are you ready to meet jesus are you ready to step in to to paradise or heaven are you a forgiven person i'm not asking if you're a good person we've already established you're not i'm not asking you if you're a religious person please stop with that garbage I'm asking you if you're a forgiven person. Have you been forgiven in Jesus' name? How do you do that? The Bible says that you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he died on the cross to forgive your sins and set you free. And in that moment, you would be saved. And here's what happens. In in that moment, the Bible says that that in heaven, there's a a book of life, the Lamb's book of life, and your name is, is penned in it for good. So when you get to heaven someday, because of this decision that you'll make right here, your decision not only to receive him, but to follow him. That when you get to heaven, you'll stand before Jesus and they'll, they'll look through that, that historic book from the last couple thousand years and they'll find your name and say, oh, uh, April 29, 2018, you made a decision to receive me as your Lord and Savior and he'll allow you to come into heaven not because of anything you did, but because of what he did for you on that cross and because you received it. Can't wait. Today's your day. Everything you've been looking for, you can find in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me all over this house? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I would ask you, are you forgiven today? Are you forgiven? Forgiveness is a costly thing. It costs Jesus everything. Everything. It cost him his life. He stepped from eternity into destruction for you so that you can step outside of destruction into eternity through him. It's not about being a good person. It's not about being a religious person. 
It's about being a forgiven person. Are you forgiven? Have you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life? Have you confessed with your mouth and believed with everything that you are that he did die on a cross and raised from the dead? And in him you have new life. In that moment, not only does he promise to come into your life and, and have a relationship with you, fill you up with the Holy Spirit, but he pens your knife, your, your life, your name in the Lamb's book of life. And he promises you security for the rest of life, for the rest of eternity. He's here right now. And he's reaching out. Heaven, heaven and hell are literally on the line right now. The Bible says all of heaven stops to rejoice in anticipation of the decision that somebody is about to make. That's what it says. That everything we've done, everything we will ever do at this church is done with this in mind. That heaven and hell are on the line. That Jesus rose. That his power is here. And he's reaching to somebody. So here's what we do. That confession is a prayer. It's not a religious thing. It's not you figuring out this long prayer. God already sees you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He sees the exact spot you're standing at the exact campus. And he is waiting for you to respond. And what we do at this church is we're going to close in prayer. And I want to know that today is going to be your day, April 29th. You're crossing the line. You're never going back. Today I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to be a forgiven person. It cost him everything. And so what I want you to do in a very bold step, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud. I want to pray for you as we close. But at all of our campuses, there's a campus director standing there. And what we do at Journey Church is we say, do you need to know Jesus? And if you say, that's me. I want you to shoot your hand all over our houses towards heaven to say, hey, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my I'm getting right with Jesus. So if you're in Phoenixville, if you're in Plymouth Meeting, Limerick, and Royersford, and you say, hey, that's me. I need to get my life right with Jesus. I'm not a good person. I don't want to be a religious person. I want to step into forgiveness. Is there anybody at our campuses who would say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. Today I want Jesus to come into my life. I want to be secure for eternity. I want to get right with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to respond right now all over our houses by shooting your hand up in the air and say, today is going to be my day. Today I'm going to leave this place completely secure, completely found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray, church. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what you're doing right now. Thank you for how you're moving. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of Scripture. Thank you for two people in Limerick that are responding to the gospel right now. Yes. Thank you for your word. That it never returns void. That we're filled with hope. There's a hope promised through your son, Jesus, for all eternity. Lord, that we have the promise of eternity, but we also live with the purpose of it. The opportunity to share your good news. Lord, that it's not about being good. It's not about being accomplished. It's not about being religious. It's about being forgiven. Just like you gave us the example of that man on the cross, that we don't know his name, but his story, his story is being shouted and proclaimed for the past 2,000 years, that it's not about good people, religious people. It's about forgiven people. And Lord, we're receiving the forgiveness that is found in your son's name, Jesus Christ. The Bible says we become a brand new person in this moment. What was true of us, before we got here is no longer true of us. God, what held us back no longer has power to hold us back. You release the bondage of, of chains and of prison in, in our life, and we leave this place without shame and condemnation. We leave this place a brand new person in Jesus' name. Lord, we're thankful for the promise of eternity, and here's what else we pray. Lord, I pray that you would shake this church to the core with an understanding of eternity and what's on the line. 
I believe if we would understand it, it would change the way we lived. It would change the way we interacted. We would have conversations that maybe would embarrass us or make us feel weird because we know what's on the line. Would you, would you give us a holy, reverent fear for our friends and our family? Lord, help us to be biblical in our mindset, to fill our, our minds with truth, to understand that it's not about good and bad people. There is no hope there. It's not about signing people up for a church or a religion. It's about Jesus. Let us share your message with boldness and with grace and with truth, with love and with compassion. Let us see people the way you see them. Let us feel the way you feel. Let us live with the same conviction that you live with. The Holy Spirit, would you fill us up? But every week we come here, every seat that is empty in these rooms represents a missed opportunity for someone to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you, would you just fill us up with that understanding? When we leave this place and church is not over, it's just beginning. This was our time to worship and recenter ourselves on your truth, to get filled up with your presence, Lord. But the church is leaving the building to go make a difference at all of our campuses. We're leaving to change this world. Thank you, Father, for that privilege and that opportunity that we have to be used by you. Thank you once again for saving and setting people free. In Jesus' name that we pray, church, would you shout amen? amen. Come on, let's clap together one more time. Hey, there's one more person in Limerick. Let's clap for them, church.